Alright folks, I'm going to read from this book today called Animus and Anima in Fairy Tales by Marie-Louise von Franz. This is the preface. The Animus is a cunning fox who knows how to hide his footprints with his tail, Carl Jung. Fairy tales represents, represent something very much removed from human consciousness. I once heard Jung say that if one interprets a fairy tale thoroughly, one must take at least a week's holiday afterward because it is so difficult. The difficulty is due to the fact that the fairy tale is based on certain functions of the psyche without any personal material to bridge it. What we have is just the skeleton of the psyche with the skin and flesh removed. Only that remains which is of general human interest. They are absolutely abstract patterns. In primitive tales there is an element present that has been lost in most of the later ones, namely the element of awe, of terror, of the divine which early people experienced in meeting the archetypes. Here, here we will look at a few of these tales and try to figure out what they can tell us about the psychic functions we call animus, the inner masculine figure in a woman, and anima, the inner feminine figure in a man. Alright, so they go through a bunch of uh, stories and give examples. Let's see. Mm, the Magician of the Plain, it's a 56. Alright, let's try doing this one. The Magician of the Plain. Um, then we'll do animal stories. Okay. Yeah, that works, I guess. Okay, chapter 4, The Magician of the Plain. This Bantu fairy tale is another anima story which will lead into the problem of the anima. It illustrates the numinous and uncanny background of animus figures. In a Bantu family, there is a son who doesn't want to marry any of the girls in the village as his parents wish. Instead, he wants to go to a foreign country to look for a wife. His parents warn him, but he won't listen. While traveling through foreign places, he falls in love with a girl and decides to marry her. The parents of the girl advise her to take along a large group of female slaves and other helpers as a sort of wedding present, but she doesn't want to take anything except the bull of the tribe, the magician of the plain. This is a buffalo bull which possesses a thousand magic arts. Her tribe is upset about this and they try to prevent her, but she insists insists and finally manages to take the bull. She also carries some magic roots, herbs, and medicines. Her husband is never able to see the bull because it is always hidden behind her. Back among the husband's tribe, the couple established their home. The bull magically does all the wife's work plowing, planting, and cooking, and she is very much admired by the villagers because everything is done so wonderfully. But one day, the bull comes to her and says he can't go on working like this because he is so very hungry, he must have something to eat. However, the girl can't feed him without her husband knowing, 
and so she tells the bull just to go out and steal peas from the fields of the village. The villagers became angry and thoroughly aroused when they realized that someone is stealing their peas. One day the husband is able to see the bull who was previously invisible to him. He shoots the bull and kills him. When the girl sees what has happened, she cuts off the bull's head and hides it and hides it and the bull's skin in the garden. Then in the night she she secretly takes them out of hiding puts them in a pot together with some magic elements and sings this song. O oh, my father, magician of the plain, indeed they told me thou shalt go into deep darkness in all darkness. Thou art a young sprout of the miraculous tree which grew out of the winds, devoured before the right time has come, devoured by the worm. The skin starts to come back to life and the head moves, but just at that moment the husband discovers what she is doing and kills the bull again. The next night the girl goes out and tries again to bring the bull back to life using the same magic elements and singing as before, but again the husband intervenes and the bull falls back dead. The third night the girl tries but there is no more power left in the magic and it doesn't work. So now the girl picks up the remnants of the skin and the head and puts them in a basket which she carries on her head and without saying anything to anyone she returns to her own tribe. Here she tells her people that the bull is dead. They are in a panic of despair at hearing this news. There is no longer any meaning in life for them. They sing the same song the girl had sung, but it doesn't work. So they all kill themselves, even the children, until no one is left. Meanwhile, the husband had been searching for his wife. Having followed her to her tribe, he now finds them all dead, including his wife. Heartbroken, he returns to his parents, who tell him he should have listened and obeyed them and taken a wife from his own village. They say it serves him right, and now he has lost all his money. The animus figure appears here as a totem animal, the life principle of the girl's tribe, the guarantee of their prosperity. The bull gives meaning to life, and therefore when he is dead, they have no raison d'etre. This story also shows why in primitive life there are such stringent marriage taboos which prevent one from marrying the projections of one's own anima or animus. Oh my god. What? This story also, okay, which this story also shows why in primitive life there are such stringent marriage taboos which prevent one from <sighs> which prevent one from marrying the projections of one's own anima or animus. Hmm. Individual choice is made impossible for that reason. This precaution is necessary because their ego consciousness is not strong enough yet to deal with the whole problem of the anima and animus. All the stories dealing with the anima or animus end tragically. Either the woman disappeared, the mermaid returns to the sea, etc., or there follows a complete catastrophe. It is important to understand this because we can see it in 
people today who blindly marry an anima or animus projection, which then leads to a situation where the couple is not able to deal with the problem. Here the girl calls the buffalo bull father, which shows that the anima is derived from the experience of her personal father. But there is an but there is an incompatibility between the god of her tribe and the tribal beliefs of her husband's people. In the psychology of the transference, Jung speaks of one of the most primitive means of dealing with the anima-animus problem, the so-called cross-cousin marriage. There are a great many instances of marriage laws following this pattern. For instance, there may be two divisions within the tribe, the night people and the day people, or the grass people and the water people, etc. A man cannot marry a woman within his own totem group. For example, if he is a grass man, he must marry a water woman. But when he does this, then the brother of the water woman must marry the sister of the grass man, the groom of the water woman. Grassman's sister, water woman. Grassman, water woman's brother. Alright, this mirrors the fact that primitive peoples do not experience any separateness of identity between inner factors and outer reality. That's so interesting, man. Like, this shit is fucking mind blowing. This is like the whole psychology of, okay. This mirrors the fact that primitive peoples do not experience any separateness of identity between inner factors and outer reality. There has always been this endogamous tendency to marry within a particular group. Incest was rife between gods and goddesses in the Greek pantheon, comparable in our story to the sister of the groom marrying the brother of of the bride. But the exogamous tendency to marry outside the tribe overcomes the former, making a break between the divine realm and the human realm and re reinforcing it by taboos. Wait, what? So, but the exogamous tendency to marry outside the tribe overcomes the former, making a break between the divine realm and the human realm and reinforcing it by taboos, okay? Very often among primitives, the god and goddess were first a, a human man and his sister who committed incest. Let me read that again. Very often among primitives, the god and goddess were first a human man and his sister who committed incest. Many primitive stories have this theme. Then the two leave the tribe and go over the river and become figures of the beyond, gods and goddesses. Oh my god, this is like the divine masculine and divine feminine archetype. From then on, you have the supernatural realm where the endogamous tendency is lived, and the human realm where the exogamous tendencies lived. There are severe laws against endogamy in the human realm because of the danger of being overwhelmed by the unconscious. <sighs> Excuse me. 
there are se there are severe laws against endogamy in the human realm because of the danger of being overwhelmed by the unconscious. Our story concerns the god, the buffalo bull, who is drawn into the human realm. When this happens, catastrophe is bound to occur. One must respect the tribal god as something belonging to the divine realm and not try to take it into everyday life. Historically, we have first the primitive practice where the endogamous tendency incest is lived only in the divine realm between gods and goddesses, figures of the unconscious. This uh, is interesting because it makes me think of uh, Lot, Abraham's distant cousin who had to basically fuck his own two daughters to have kids. And then, and so that makes me wonder, well, so are they talking about the unconscious here then? And if so, if, if the whole Bible, let's say, if you look at it as in conscious and unconscious, and which is which, is pretty interesting. Okay. Then in Egypt, the god and goddess appear in human form. The pharaoh and his sister are the only human beings who may commit incest. Mm. The next step appeared in alchemy, which probably derived its symbols from the Egyptian ritual but in alchemy, where the quaternity was expressed as king, queen, woman, man. The king and queen are also chemical substances, so at this stage it appears nearer the human being because now it becomes part of the elements of our body. The next step is Jungian psych psychology with the concepts of anima and animus. In all the above quaternal relations there are the possibilities of relatedness of various kinds for instance a man may, a man may relate to his anima but not to another woman or to a woman but not to his anima and so on sometimes the relationship involves only the anima and the animus and not the human beings at all Anima and animus are attracted to one another, but when the two people are thrown together, they may not be able to stand each other at all. In past times, these factors, anima and animus, were projected into the realm of kings and queens. In our tale, this is interesting because this is like what projection is really. In our tale, the animus figure in the form of a bull cannot be made to live again when the husband sees the ritual. The very fact of the husband seeing it is what kills it. This is just what happens in everyday life. When a woman makes an attempt to develop her animus, the husband makes a natural attempt to shoot down the effects, and the wife likewise tries to destroy the development of the anima in her husband. Oh my god, this is basically right there is how relationships work. When a woman makes an attempt to develop her animus, 
The husband makes a natural attempt to shoot down the effects, and the wife likewise tries to destroy the development of the anima in her husband. This, okay. There is a legitimate secrecy during this process, which is necessary because of the incompatibility of these elements. For example, you often see a woman making a beginning toward developing her thinking function. She starts in a typically feminine way, perhaps with a quite second-rate book, but becomes absorbed in it, really excited. The husband notices that and says, well, if you're going to take that up, you should begin this or that way, read this or that, and so on. His Logos wants to organize her interest systematically, and by doing that, he kills it. Oh my god. <laughs> Similarly, when the husband is trying to develop his feeling function, he may begin by doing very silly things, sloppy and sentimental, and the natural eros of the woman resents it, causing her to intervene with saying a condescending remark, which kills the whole development. I see. I see what's going on now in this whole fucking... Oh my god, okay. The path of these archetypes meanders like a stream in a swamp. The partner in whom a particular function is better developed will naturally feel superior to the other's feeble attempts to integrate that function. And even if there is a genuine desire to help the other, it can put the others back up if it is not done in just the right way. The woman in our story wants to draw this totem god, the buffalo bull into the ordinary human realm, using him to plow fields and so on, and in this way she helps to destroy it. The food of the husband's tribe is not to be eaten by the bull, so when he eats the peas he becomes visible and is killed by the husband. The members of the girl's tribe, before killing themselves, when they learn of the bull's death, sing the same song she had sung to it addressing the bull as the magician of the plain, born out of the wind, dying before the right time had come, and so on. But the song has lost its power, and there is no longer any meaning in their lives. This woman tried to touch the animus problem too soon. It was an attempt toward consciousness too early, and therefore took on a negative aspect. I see. The villagers of her tribe also sing. He is the one who spreads flowers and fruits on his way, a description later applied to Osiris, the god who dies too young. This sun god of the great mother later becomes the personification of the animus, as in our story which is typical for an African god. Alright, so, <laughs> this, this thing I need to fucking share, definitely gonna share this, okay? But, I'm, I'm gonna read another chapter, but I just wanted to say, like, reading that last part, it just, it just, like, oh my god, this, you know, when, when you get something and it clicks, 
It's like really good directors. If you watch their movies, it like from start from start to finish, from the fucking first frame till the last black screen fade out to black. Certain I'm I'm just talking about directors, okay, for movies. I'm not saying other artists don't do this, other people don't do this, but I'm saying for directors, certain directors everything on that screen is just it's a fucking masterpiece, man. And you see it. You see this visual poetry on the screen and I think Terrence Malick is one of those types of directors I think um, uh, what's his name the guy who did oh my god how am I blanking right here with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio getting fucking getting fucked up by the bear what was it called Something the the director is something in a ritu. He they won the f- fucking Oscar for the best film. Oh my god, what was it called? But yeah, his style, Terrence Malick. Um, I will I will even say Quentin Tarantino in in some of his scenes. He that's just poetry on sc- on the screen, man. Even I will say, fucking um, Zack Snyder, and when he made Three Hundred. Some of those scenes was just poetry, just visual poetry, man. And it's it's like this is why all these fairy tales and for me at least, I think fairy tales, animated movies just I think animation definitely it, it allows you way more creativity I think visually and it's just I think we're like just one step away from so we got the whole thing down like making it projecting it on the screen and watching it I think we're one step away from finding the the gap in between figuring figuring out what is going on like i think we will be able to see or understand how reality is just being created out of nothing out of coding out of source like the matrix for reals <laughs> How from how light when it touches water and bends and refracts and now you have colors and I think we're we're almost there, man. And bridging the gap between the conscious and the subconscious. I don't know. All right, let me continue. Chapter five: Anima stories. All right, so I think four was. Animus, I'm assuming. Yeah, okay, so this is Anima. 
I will begin with a few primitive examples. There is a South American story in which a man catches a female ape and takes her into his hut. He discovers while she lives with him that whenever he goes out, by the time he comes back, all the work in and around the hut has been done. So one day he decides to find out what hap find out how that happens, and, and instead of leaving, he decides he hides and watches. He sees a beautiful girl appear appear out of the ape skin, and it is she who does the work. He reaches into the hut and snatches the ape's skin and burns it. Then he speaks to the girl and asks her to remain with him. She agrees to stay on the one condition that he never call her an ape or remind her of her people. He is glad to accept this condition, but there comes a time when his anger is aroused against her over something, and in his fury he calls her an ape. The girl then immediately resumes her ape skin, takes their child, which had been born in the meantime, and runs off. The man is so angry that he burns down his whole hut. In another story almost identical, the woman is a female dog, and when the man calls her a bitch, she runs away. Another story, slightly different, concerns a hunter who finds that a jaguar he brings home is a beautiful woman. She agrees to stay with him if he will never betray to his tribe that she is really a jaguar. He promises, but his mother is a persistent, nagging woman who asks indiscreet questions until at last he tells her the secret. Kind of reminds me of Samson, but okay. Later, during a festival, festival, his mother gets drunk and tells the whole tribe, then the girl... Growling from being ashamed, resumes her jaguar shape and disappears forever into the forest. In still another story, the animal form of the girl is a bee. As long as the husband keeps his promise not to call her a bee, he finds beehives wherever he goes in the forest and he becomes a wealthy man. But when he betrays the secret, he finds no more beehives and loses his fortune. In another tale about an ape woman, the man cuts off the tail and then keeps the woman under the same condition as in the other stories. One day he sees the family of his wife sitting in the trees and making merry. They invite him to come up and have a drink. The party becomes wild and he gets drunk and tells them that his wife is an ape. Then they and his wife all run away from him, and he is left sitting up in the tree with the problem of how to get down. All these stories illustrate the primitive attitude that the animal side is also the divine side. A human cannot deal with it. The only thing to do is to accept the animal as a divine and secret mystery, a divine secret. If this attitude is lacking, if there is an attempt to draw the divine into the human realm, there can only be a catastrophe. But to keep such a secret is absolutely isolating. When the girl in these tales tells the man to keep her identity a secret, she cuts him off from the collective. Generally, even in our society, the secrets leak out, but as long as we keep a secret, we are isolated from the general participation mystique. That, that is why there are stories which say that one shouldn't look at the anima or animus, though, of course, they are not called that. 
because to look at them is to transcend human boundaries and enter the realm of the divine. I see. So the hero's journey, I think, is your soul's journey. And if I think about it now, the first time I did shrooms was definitely, I saw the divine feminine and divine masculine as light bodies. And they were in this shape together, the shape of a vagina. <laughs> yes, it looked like a portal. It was, all, it was all made out of light. And I guess that was my soul's beginning into the unconscious, into the special world. Hmm, that's so interesting. Okay. Another such story tells of a young man living in the, in the communal bachelor's hut. Through a hole in the roof, he sees a beautiful star, which he watches night after night until finally he falls in love with it. One evening, he wakes out of his sleep and finds a beautiful woman at the foot of his bed. She says, you called me. She agrees to live with him, and every night she appears to him as a woman, and they have a wonderful time together. During the day, however, she becomes very, very small so that he can put her in a little bottle, and no one knows her identity. People look into the bottle, but they see only a very disgusting-looking animal with mean little eyes. That is, in the banal, banal light of day... To the eyes that see in the daytime, it is all nonsense. But the eyes that see in the night are able to discover the beautiful woman. For the primitive unconsciousness, this is an intolerable situation. They can't stand the paradox. They have a terrific awe of the unconscious on the one hand, and on the other they have a banal, down-to-earth attitude. Whatever happens is a just-so story. The tension would be too great if they were to try to unite the two aspects. By day, the animal mystery. By night, goddess of the stars. Continuing the story of the star goddess, the young man is consumed with curiosity about where she goes when she leaves him. Against her warnings, he insists that she take him along the next, that she take him along the next time. He goes up to heaven with her, and there he sees what she does. She dances among skeleton, skeletons, and she herself is one. The impact of this discovery is so great that he asks her to let him go back down to earth. She does, but the shock has been too great, and he dies of a brain fever. Oh my god, so okay. I think all this heaven and hell thing is, is basically uh, up and down, state of consciousness, your soul going up or going down, higher consciousness heaven, lower consciousness hell, the abyss, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, it's just like 
your soul's level of consciousness. Hmm. Alright. Brain fever. He dies of a brain fever. Maybe his fucking mind just exploded, man. Too much steak. <laughs> that is why the North American Indian stories say, don't look up at the stars. They are death and we shouldn't look at them. It's interesting because in The Lion King... It's, it's a little different, but okay. In some uncanny way, the primitive mind knows they are projections of the unconscious and we must stay away from them because we haven't the strength to deal with them. It's true, man. Them archetypes. For us who are so cut off from the unconscious, it is good to read these stories. Many men and women have chosen not to marry the one they first fell in love with. Many men and women have chosen not to marry the one they first fell in love with, and then later in, in analysis, this first love appears in dreams as a personification of their anima or animus. Had they married, one can see that it would have been a disaster, creating a lot of difficulties. The unconscious wisdom which prevented, prevented them from marrying is the same instinct which drives the primitive to tell such stories and say, don't look at the stories. Hmm. Where are we at? We are at 33 minutes. Okay, let's see. Do I want to read anything else? <laughs> see the magic horse. Well, the first one is not too long. <laughs> Carry the girl with the wooden frog. Oh, about six pages, not too bad. Alright, 51. Uh, of course, it's the one that's missing the fucking page. Okay, not that one. Hmm. The Virgin Zarina? How about that one? Was that 79? Nope, that's not gonna work. Well people I guess alright I guess I could read the first one alright old rink crank in this northern German fairy tale a king had a daughter he made a glass mountain and said that only a man who could walk over this mountain could have his daughter Along comes a man who loves her and wants to marry her. The princess wants to walk over the princess wants to walk over the glass mountain with them. So they start out together, but before long the mountain opens and the girl falls into it. Then it closes up again. Inside the glass mountain is an old man with a beard 17 inches long. He asks her to be his maid. He calls her Mrs. Mansrot man's red and tells her to call him old rink crank or a red knight every day he disappears through a small window which he reaches by a ladder and every night he returns with silver and gold which he piles up 
One day she decides to escape. She pulls the window down on Rinkrank's beard, keeping him fastened there until he agrees to let her have the ladder. She returns to the king who goes and kills old Rinkrank, taking all the gold and silver. Then the princess marries the man who had asked for her in the beginning. In interpreting fairy tales, it is important to start at the beginning and ask, who is lacking to make a complete family? Huh, that's interesting. Generally, the element lacking in human form reappears later in another form. Something happens in the flow of the story, and that which was incomplete completes itself. The story starts with an unsatisfactory condition, and then shows how the completion comes about. A king has a daughter. If this were an individual case, we would assume that it concerns a father complex. Generally, the animus in a woman develops out of her experience of the personal father. He puts flesh on the inborn archetype of the father, and that experience becomes her father complex, which manifests both in her attitude toward men in her life and in the functioning of her inner masculinity, which we call the animus. There is no mother in this story. Still thinking in terms of a personal situation, it is generally true that if a mother figure is lacking, there is likely to be weakness and uncertainty on a woman's feminine side. This naturally exposes her to the danger of animus possession. However, a fairy tale is not case material. A king is not just the father. It is said specifically that he is a king. This represents what happens when archetypes are at home with each other, that is, as processes within the collective unconscious, they are much more basic than personal material, though personal material is based on these processes. So, here a king and princess are at the center of the story. Fairy tales usually deal with either royal persons or with the lowest anonymous type of person, like a hunter or an old soldier or a miller. This shows that the material refers to a super-personal or sub-personal level. The king is the outstanding person in a given society. Traditionally, the figure of a king represents God on earth. He is an incarnation of God. However, in fairy tales and myths, kings are usually incomplete, perhaps blind or infirm, needing rejuvenation, the water of life. The king actually represents that idea of the self, with the capital S, the regulating center of the psyche that has become a representation of the collective attitude. For instance, in terms of the Western world today, Christ may be looked upon as the central idea of a political state, but it is incomplete. It represents only the dominant attitude of the collective culture. This center can become old and obsolete. This is the moment when renewal must take place, opening up the real meaning the experience 
that underlies all religious systems. Hundreds of fairy tales depict this process, telling how it comes about. Here the, <clears throat> here the king makes a sort of glass trap, not for, not for his daughter, but for her suitors. He, he represents an aspect of the collective attitude which has become very wrong and complete. Apparently the queen has died, we aren't told that for sure, but in any case the corresponding feminine factor linked with the king, the feeling or eros aspect of the dominant ruling attitude is gone. Every system, social, political, or religious, is associated with a certain feeling attitude. For example, the birth of Christianity as the old Roman Empire was declining meant a change of attitude toward logos toward marriage, toward slaves, toward the system. Thus, always, all ruling attitudes are accompanied by some feeling attitude. If the queen is absent, it, it means there is no longer any eros in the old ruling system. So fucking symbolic, yet it's just like... The, the, the symbolism right under your nose is basically <laughs> it's telling you what's going on man. oh my god that's just crazy okay <sighs> okay so where was I that is why the whole weight of the story goes on the daughter the renewal of the kingdom, the necessary balance provided by the feminine, comes through the princess. The glass trap the king makes suggests the mother's substitute since mountains have long been worshipped as holy, the home of mother goddesses. Oh wow, today is just like mind-blowing day, okay. <laughs> Mountains have long been worshipped as holy, the home of mother goddesses. Jung says that mountains may also represent the outstanding personality, the self. This is so because mountains are a sure point of orientation to one who is on the plane. Certain church fathers have been referred to as mountains looming above the plane. Going up or climbing a mountain is a symbol of becoming more conscious. <laughs> the mountain is a heap of earth or stones thrown up by a volcanic explosion, that is, the throwing up of the insides of the earth, the process of individuation, becoming conscious of who you were meant to be, involves climbing over one's worst, most resistant areas, this earthly mass. By going up the mountain, one becomes the mountain. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell that mountain to move. Hmm. By going up the mountain, one becomes the mountain. The ego climbs this mass of material which we find inside ourselves. That is why the mountain can also represent the mother. 
In our story, the mountain opens like a cup and the girl is caught in it, showing that the feminine aspect is trapped in matter. That's true. But the mountain is of glass and it, and it is not dark. There are other tales where the heroine is imprisoned in a glass coffin. This means being completely cut off emotionally <clears throat> emotionally as well as intellectually. One is completely cut off in the isolating prison. In the glass prison, one can look out. One has a complete view, but one is still cut off. Glass is also an insulating material, so here the glass mountain alludes to being cut off from the emotional feeling life. Glassy people are stiff. You can make contact intellectually, but there is no heart in them, no feeling contact. I agree. Thus the king is trying to cut off the feeling contact between the princess and her suitor. He wants to stop life so that there will be no future king to replace him. Every ego man, fucking. Every ruling system has the ten tendency to resist and petrify the flow of the new. That's what I'm saying. Politics, man. It's just old, these old motherfuckers need to die. That's all it is. They're the ones who are creating the lag between fucking reality and their. old ass basically all right but we need both of them so it is what it is okay the many instinctive patterns which higher animals have have get into conflict man is the only being on this planet who can rule his instincts <laughs> man is the only being on this planet who can rule his instincts. That is what consciousness was given to him for. My goodness. I need to fucking screenshot this, man. That is insane. What a quote. Okay. Think of the lemmings in Norway who migrate in huge numbers, probably so that by changing places they will not destroy the land completely and will continue to have food. But if they are headed toward the sea, they cannot change their route, but continue until they are all drowned in, flowing this driving in following this driving instinct. This is a destructive aspect of instinctive nature, and only consciousness can achieve control over such a mechanism. Now, it also belongs to the structure of consciousness to become one-sided. This is connected with willpower. There is always the danger of becoming cut off from the instincts, becoming unbalanced and destructive, going completely against nature. This is a typical tendency to, of consciousness to preserve in a course of action, even though after a while what was once an excellent attitude and a good remedy eventually becomes self-defeating. You, you see this in the troubles that commonly beset people in the middle of life, but in smaller ways the need for a change of values is constantly present. 
In our tale, the trick of the old king backfires, for it is the daughter, not the suitor, who falls into the trap. The future son-in-law represents that being who is destined to become king. Therefore, he represents the germ of a new attitude in the unconscious. I need to do more research on this word germ because that is basically the physical manifestation of idea into matter so okay here he is only a catalytic agent since we are told nothing else about him since the masculine element is so vague and the princess daughter is more fully characterized her fate being central We know that this is probably a story about the animus. The girl wants to help her future husband go over the mountain, and through that she falls into the trap. We often see that people are caught in a complex, but it is not manifest. The trouble in the story starts only in the crucial moment, namely where she has a chance to get out of the complex. Before this, she seems to be free. It is only when the man wants to marry her that she falls into her father complex. Thus, a person with a neurosis has, has it because the chance of getting out of the complex is being offered. Wow, that is fucking... Thus, a person with a neurosis has it because the chance of getting out of the complex is being offered. If such people miss the chance to get out of it when the time is right, then catastrophe comes, sickness and so on. Stories of an encounter with a dragon address this experience. If you face the dragon and win, you gain the treasure. Here the girl can marry, the king can retire, etc. But instead of this, she, she falls into the mountain, the trap. It is not the young man who falls in. When she falls into the mountain, she finds the old man with a beard. One has the feeling that this old man doesn't earn the silver and gold in an honorable way. He treats the girl as his wife, giving her the name of a married woman, but it is not the same as his name, and she must work for him. The beard plays an enormous role in fairy tales. You know the story of Bluebeard, who killed his wives. Now he is a wonderful image of a destructive murderous animus. There is also the tale of King Thrushbeard, which illustrates the transformation of the negative into the positive animus. Here the princess imprisons old Rink Rink Rank by pulling the window down on his beard. Hair in general is symbolically significant but the meaning varies according to the part of the body on which it grows on the head it generally represents involuntary unconscious thoughts and fantasies that is why in primitive societies hair has mana hmm. mana is a melanesian word referring to a bewitching or numinous 
quality in quality I'm assuming numinous quality in gods or sacred objects sometimes we can influence our environment much more by our unconscious assumptions than by our conscious thoughts that is why hair the spiritual power of our unconscious thoughts is so important oh my god Delilah destroyed Samson's soul castrated him psychologically by cutting off his hair his creative thoughts and ideas oh my god fucking hey eh? like the oh my god the fucking synchronicities this week is okay Delilah destroyed Samson's soul castrated him psychologically by cutting off his hair his creative thoughts and ideas there are African tribes where the boys must collect sticks and shells to put in their hair. It is their initiation into adulthood. Then they can marry. In designing their headdress, they build up a spiritual philosophy, which they literally wear on their heads. The hair growing on different parts of the body is reminiscent of our animal nature. It is the remains of the fur we have lost. Hmm. So, what is the beard? It is the ter terrific flow of unconscious talk, blind talk, that animus possessed women are given to. So, what is the beard? It is the terrific flow of unconscious talk, blind talk, that animus possessed women are given to. It flows out of their mouth, a lot of trash and a lot of pearls, but they are unconscious of both the trash and the pearls. <laughs> I know exactly what they mean. In old rank rank, the girl pins down the beard. This is a common motif in ghost stories where if one can nail or pin down the ghost, it disappears entirely or proves to be but a bit of straw or something similarly worthless. Okay. That is what we do in active imagination. Make conscious what is disturbing us or has too much emotional weight. We ask, do I really believe that? And so on. When one is possessed by the animus, one has a holy conviction about one's assumptions. Hmm. But one must ask, is that what I really believe? One must pin down the flow. I see. Who is the old man in the mountain? Oh my god. <laughs> I am writing a story and it's called The Old Man on the Mountain. <laughs> we assume he is an animus figure, but that is not saying much. We have said that the king represents a collective ruling attitude. So then, who is this being in the mountain, this robber, the old red knight? It is not said that the king put him there. If it were a personal story, we could say that behind the king is the archaic figure of the old man, but we must look at the problem on a collective level. There is the red in his name. Oh my god. Okay, okay, okay. 
and good reason for associating him with another red beard, beard story that deals with Wotan asleep in the German soul. We can say that this is an older image of God, farther back than the king. Redbeard. Hmm. When a ruling figure, a ruling idea, disappears, what usually appears next is an older image of God. You can observe this in the whole current of religious history. When the Greek gods lost their manna, the gods who then appeared were more archaic from the pre-Greek period. But it is not a pure regression, they contain the germ of a new higher level. Alchemy reappeared on a higher level as the science of chemistry. The old man in the mountain is a more primitive pagan image of the German god who reappears. This old demon is gathering values, gold and silver, so that there are no values left in consciousness. Silver and gold have I none. This constitutes a very dangerous situation. It is not thought that he should become the secret ruler of the country, for he is killed. The regressive aspect has to be killed, as he is in the end, as he is in the end by the king. Okay. It is not the daughter who kills him. She leaves it to the king to do that. It is her task only to escape. It is the duty of the king who has attracted this old devil by his attitude to kill the old man in the mountain. Women cannot fight the animus by killing him. They can only catch him by pinning him by the beard so they can then escape. The male hero in myth fights overcomes, conquers the monster. The feminine follows the path of individuation by suffering and escaping. It is enough if a woman can walk out into the human situation, rebuild human relatedness, relationship. It is enough if a woman can walk out into the human situation, rebuild human relatedness, relationship. The king kills old rank rank, as the opposites kill each other. The unconscious creates the conflict, makes two out of one. If you can keep out of it, taking neither this stand nor that, you can escape the evils of conflict. Switzerland. <laughs> the princess suffers, and then she walks out of it. The only effort she makes is to pin down the old man's beard. She turns him into a helpful servant who provides the way out, the ladder. Yeah, I think this is all going on in your head. Jacob's ladder is ascension of your fucking spirit body, your soul. I think this is all just the psychedelics and all, all the shit was involved, man. God damn, man, these... These fuckers made this, made all these things illegal so that we could not get out of the fucking matrix, man. Oh my god, okay. Or at least be aware that that's what's going on. Okay. 
In Siberia, they talk of a ghost world where the gods lived, but we have lost it. There is now only a cord ladder with knots in it that makes the connection between the ghost world and our world, and our world, and only the shaman or medicine man can cross into the other world. He climbs by means of the knots. This cord or ladder is what we build up every day in day in analysis. Until we experience the feeling, ah, now I am connected. The emotional entang entanglements and conflicts are the knots. <laughs> the oldest writings and calculations used chords with knots. The chord is the meaning, the connection. We see the connecting links. The demon Rink Rank provides the princess with a meaning, connection. If a woman hasn't gone through the experience of being trapped by the demon Animus, she has only unconscious thoughts. It is the demon who provides her with the ladder to escape. What was negative becomes positive. If a woman hasn't gone through the experience of being trapped by the demon animus, she has only unconscious thoughts. It is the demon who provides her with the ladder to escape. What was negative becomes positive. This kind of reminds me of the scene from the movie Annihilation when Natalie Portman is trying to... yeah. Escape her demon animus. And, well, I won't spoil it for you if you haven't watched it. And so, yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Okay, let's see. We must not forget that fairy tales deal with archetypes, and archetypes cannot be killed. But the tale means that in this particular constellation, the negative aspect disappears. The devil will always appear again, but it will be in another form or constellation. <coughs> this particular problem will not reappear. There is always a fairy tale level going on in life. Then myths develop out of it and then sink into fairy tales again. The princess falling into the mountain is falling into mother and there she is reborn. Wow. Oh my god. Red Knight is there. The passion is inside the mountain. The mother is represented not by a human being but by a mountain. 
When something is personified as a human being, it can be integrated. That which is represented as a mountain and closing a person means she cannot integrate it, but can only relate to it. The positive thing here is that the values are rescued. In the end, the gold and silver are possessed by the bride and groom. Here we see that the princess acquires her physical reality by falling into the mountain. Often in fairy tales, the negative hero is called the Red Knight. This shows the negative hero is called the Red Knight. This shows that there is an emotional link between the girl and the demon. Yeah, because that's her animus. Inside the mountain, both their names contain the word red. Her name, Man's Red, shows a combination of the masculine and passion. Rink Rank, the Red Knight, gives her the name whereby she can realize who she really is. The great problem of the animus is that when a woman is unconscious of her animus, it links up with her emotional side and she becomes the proverbial bull in the china shop. She can develop a masculine mind and look at herself more objectively, but her feminine feeling nature is pressed down and melds with the animus. This causes many tragedies in life, particularly in the realm of relationship. In our tale, the old king does everything to prevent the renewal with his right hand and everything to help the renewal with his left. Women are always spinning plots to catch someone and then fall into their own trap. But men play with the anima and she takes the key when they aren't looking. The fact that the girl goes through the transformation process of suffering and takes action in pinning down Rink-Rank's beard causes a transformation in him so that, so that he helps her. The killing of the evil old man by the king is comparable to the Christian habit in the sense of a killing attitude toward life. The demon in the mountain is like the Germanic Wotan as a seed of new life, but the Germans did not use in a positive way the libido that was released. Communism and the conventional Christian attitude are quite close to each other. What? Communism and the conventional Christian attitude are quite close to each other. The smart thing for us to do is to walk away from them both and let them kill each other. <laughs> that is how a conflict is always overcome, by walking out of it. In a conflict, the two sides become so close to each other that they use the same weapons. The process of individuation is furthered precisely by not taking part in the battle but rather walking out of it. The two sides hate each other because they are so similar and they use the same methods. My God, people, this is, this is politics right now. This is just giving away the whole show right here. 
The process of individuation is further is furthered precisely by not taking part in the battle, but rather walking out of it. Bob Marley said, the day you win the race is when you stop running it. <laughs> All right. The two sides hate each other because they are so similar and they use the same methods. Like I said, it's just mom and dad fighting. That is why the fairy tale has the king and not the princess kill the demon. And the king will naturally leave the throne, the gold and silver, the values, to the princess and her husband. Regarding Rink Rank being a robber, it is one of the activities of the animus life of a woman to steal, to suck life from other people. <laughs> Such a woman becomes a vampire because she has no life in herself, but she needs life and so must take it where she finds it. The negative devil animus kills every feminine aspect in life. God damn, this is a this is by Mary Louis Louis von Franz, who is a woman. <laughs> okay, so uh, take it up with her. I'm just reading her book. But I just think this is so interesting. Because <clears throat> if you think about it, all of us here exist today because whoever's listening, because you have a mom. Alright? Now mom couldn't make make you in her tummy without Okay, if we're yeah, without your dad, right? Or at least his sperm, whatever. So point is even for us to even exist on this planet, we need both sides. <laughs> Without women, no men can be born. Without any men, no women can be made. And for some reason, I feel like that movie Children of Men... is definitely going to become a reality um, I'll say at least in some countries like you guys are pretty pretty much there man for some countries I will say that we're at that point but okay point what I'm trying to say I guess is Whether we like it or not, we need both sides to even exist, okay? And what did, what did the last part say?
communism and the conventional Christian attitude are quite close to each other. The smart thing for us to do is to walk away from them both and let them kill each other. The process of individuation is furthered precisely by not taking part in the battle but rather walking out of it. If all soldiers just dropped their guns and said, fuck you, what, what, what are they going to do? If all soldiers dropped their guns, turned around, told their leaders, fuck you, we're not going to fight no more. We're done fighting. We're going to try to get along. How about that? If all soldiers did that, I mean, like, we literally don't have to have a war ever again. But, you know, we're such well-trained dogs. <laughs> you know, who only think for ourselves, or we don't know how to think at all. Well, then, it's a different story. But I'm talking to humans. People who have souls, who have a heart and a free mind that is not boxed in or under chains a free mind I'm talking to these types of people we need you motherfuckers stand up and fucking shine a light at all the bullshit so that we can Please have some fucking peace and silence so that we can hear the birds again and the water flowing in the streams and the rivers which are all dried up now because of our fucking dams. What if literally like in Lord of, Lord of the Rings... <laughs> The people take the power back, and as usual, when we go back in harmony with nature, nature is beautiful again. It's, it's just, it's written all over and around us, but we tr trap ourselves in square houses, square boxes. Why are the fucking houses square, people? <laughs> Look, man. I know. It's like, okay. You telling me that all this shit was done intentionally just to keep us as good, obedient, timid little sheep. Um, well, I don't know, but maybe you can check out this movie I just watched today called White Tiger on Netflix. And maybe that guy can really show you 
what reality is like for millions of people in India every day. You want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes? Check out that movie, and that's just touching the surface, man. <laughs> that's just touching the surface still. That's still, that's still just, it's rated, you could say R. Not, not even R. Compared to nowadays, that's PG-13 to actual rated R shit that goes on in India. And then you can tell me, oh, no, nah, man, there's no systemic racism. You fucking kidding me? There's no... Look, man, I'm saying there's both sides. I have experienced it. I've seen, I've heard shit with my own eyes and my own ears. I've seen shit from both sides. And that's what I'm saying. Both sides have good arguments. And this is why... I just think it's mom and dad fighting. They need to figure this shit out themselves. For themselves. We just need to drop the weapons. And go, I don't know, go eat or something. We need to drop the weapons. We need to stop the fighting. Alright. I think I've fucking talked enough. But, um... Yeah, hope you guys are doing good, take your vitamins, stay healthy, stay strong, keep shining, keep keep fucking busting darkness out of people's lives, man, alright? Alright, sending out love and peace and light and all the good stuff and abundance, blessings, alright, all your way, peace.